Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, it's great to be able to share with you today, uh, wherever you're watching. We are into the second week of a new series simply called Future. We're really asking the question, how do we as the church and as individuals that make up the church move forward with God? How do we step into the next season? How do we go and grow with God? And what does renewal look like now, the future that he has for us? Now, we've also been speaking about how at the moment, speaking about the future seems slightly strange because in many ways it's harder to plan, it's harder to predict after what we've been living through for the last two years. So the foreground may look foggy, but all the scriptures tell us that with God's vision, the future, the skies look clear. Now, we looked last year, last last year, goodness me, it's been a long week, not really. We looked last week at how Jesus's life speaks of God's future. Jesus came from heaven. Heaven is a pattern which shows us what the future earth will look like. And at the end of the age, heaven and earth will be reunited. So when Jesus came into the world, he incarnated God's future. And we're called to partner in that future, that when we live according to the kingdom of God, we bring heaven to earth. In that great prayer of Jesus, we pray in the, in the, in the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're called to live the future now. When we follow Jesus, when we live as he lived, when we think as he thought, when we desire as he desired, when we value as he valued, we embody and bring the future into the present. Yet, and this is what I want to dig into today, many in the church, many believers struggle to live this future reality. Now, in Galatians 3 verse 1, Paul says this to the church in Galatia, who were also struggling to live out God's reality. He says to them, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? In the New Living Translation, to translate that verse as, who has cast a spell on you? This word bewitched comes from the Greek word baskino, which is to charm, deceive, flatter, and to do so with an evil intent. Now, I want to argue today that the enemy, the powers and principalities wish to bewitch us, to make us see things in a wrong light, particularly the message of Jesus, in order to prevent God's future from breaking into our world. There is a fight for the future. Now, Paul was using this term to describe how the believers in Galatia had been bewitched into investing into another gospel. A gospel means a good news. It's a story. It's a truth which comes to us and transforms us. But into the believers in Galatia, a competing message which appeared as a gospel appeared as good news, which sounded like the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, it took the recipients who ingested its ideas down a very dangerous path. Paul writes in Galatians 1 verse 6 to 7, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The church in Galatia had been charmed and flattered into believing another gospel, another good news message, which appeared attractive and reasonable, which was actually a form of charm. It was a form of evil and spiritual deception. Now, the question that Paul asked of that church in first century Galatia, who has bewitched you, has resonance for us today. It makes us examine whether we have indeed been bewitched by another gospel, whether we have been thrown into confusion about our understanding of the message of Jesus, his kingdom and the life that we've been asked to live by him. For alternate uh, alternate gospels are a lot like viruses. And I think the faulty way that many people have understood the Christian life in the church is operating like a, 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 gospel, a, a, a faulty gospel, a faulty virus. It's bewitched us and it's highly transmissible, hard to detect. Its symptoms initially seem mild. However, they do long-term damage to our faith. We have been bewitched by the lie that the Christian life is good but too hard. We see the life sold out to Jesus as something which is wonderful, good, and true, but not for us. We hold to the theory, but we doubt its real-world application. We may look at someone who lives a life totally given over to Jesus, the way we might look at a sports person, an athlete who is incredibly healthy and fit. We may admire that person. We may even read their bio. We may even go and watch them compete. But we don't think for a second that such a life could be ours. We want Jesus and his salvation, but we doubt that he can aid and transform us in all the complexities of contemporary life. Now, most believers, I think, would agree that if the leaders and decision makers of the world, in fact, most of the population of the world, if they were to live like Jesus, imitating his entire way of life, that the world would be an immeasurably much better place. What's strange is, in practice, Many of us seem to be unconvinced that if we were to live the whole of our lives for Jesus, that our lives would actually be better. We believe to truly commit our lives to him that we would miss out on something pleasurable and pleasing that is offered to us by the contemporary life script, which places pleasure, good feelings and experience above all else. And this belief that if we were truly to live for Jesus, that we would miss out on something and live a degraded kind of life here and now. This is a confusion. This is a bewitchment that has come over so many believers in the church. And what are the results of this? This has wounded the church. The church has gotten into a kind of bad feedback loop with the members of the church. When people see the gospel in this way. We see the church as something which exists to give us good feelings at high moments or to deal with our bad feelings when the kind of life that we're expecting to live does not turn out so. Stanley Harris 
has pointedly and perhaps prophetically warned us of a kind of church in which pastoral care, this is his quote, pastoral care has become obsessed with the personal wounds of people in advanced industrial societies, that's our society, who have discovered that their lives lack meaning. Kara says that he feels like saying, what did you expect? I want to ask these people. Quit taking yourself so seriously. Enjoy having your narcissism defeated by being drawn into the church's mission to witness to Christ's cross and resurrection. Wow. That is confronting. But maybe it's confronting because it's actually true. We have been bewitched to believe that the way that Jesus taught his followers to walk leads to a kind of zombie-like, a kind of death. But we need to understand that the cost of non-discipleship, the cost of not giving over the whole of our lives to Jesus is actually huge. It leaves us stuck in the endless cycle of repeating frustrations, burdens, and disappointments. And Jesus has a better way. Jesus wants us instead to break into the future. Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We've, I think, been bewitched into thinking that that verse actually reads, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to a degraded life and not that good life. But instead, Jesus is saying here that actually his way, yes, many people do not want to take it. Many people have been bewitched. Many people have been thrown into confusions by false gospels that exist in the culture or even sometimes which are propagated by the church. But I want to remind you today that Jesus' way leads to life, both in the eternal, but also now. The future heaven is breaking into now. Now, in order to understand how this plays out, we need to discover for the first time or perhaps rediscover after forgetting it, the secret of an easy yoke. Jesus taught in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And this is the reality. Many of us are wearied and burdened, just as Stanley Howard said, because our attempts to live these lives in this contemporary society, following its rules and following the things which it says will deliver a wonderful and fulfilling life, that they're actually not working that we're being defeated. And so we walk around with these burdens and these frustrations because actually the gospels that are offered by our culture and the world are no gospels at all. They're not really good news. And Jesus then says this in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Notice that learn from me. When we step into Jesus's way, We learn from him how he lived, how he operated. This is an invitation to discipleship. If that sounds scary, these words are very reassuring. Jesus continues, for I am gentle and humble 
in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Souls which are continually searching and trying to find a replacement for God in all of the idols and ideologies that are presented us by this world and will continue to struggle to find rest until they find rest in God. Verse 30, and this is key. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, I think we've been bewitched into actually believing that that verse really reads, for my yoke is really hard and my burden is heavy. No, what does Jesus' actual word say? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, many of us who have attempted to live for God have had these moments where we want to give the whole of our lives to God and we think of them in these high drama moments. We go about our lives, but what happens if, say, in the lunchroom at work, someone says a comment about faith and then puts you on the spot and you know this person is disparaging of faith and you're sitting there with your co-workers looking at you and, well, what do you believe? Do you believe Jesus was risen from the dead? Surely you don't believe that claptrap. And at that moment, you think, oh, if at that moment I want to be true and I want to speak up to my faith, or what about that moment when you'll have an ethical decision before you? And we have this high point view of Christianity. And there's moments where we are tested like that. But how it doesn't work is if we live most of our lives just like everyone else. And in those key moments, we've got to sort of steal ourselves and make this stand for the Christian faith. Jesus is actually inviting us into something very different. Dallas Willard says this, The secret of the easy yoke is simple, actually. Is the intelligent, informed, unyielding resolve to live as Jesus lived in all aspects of his life not just in moments of specific action. What he's saying there is you don't have to, at those key moments, be a super Christian. Rather, what Jesus is inviting you into is living as Jesus lived in every moment of his life. How he interacted with people, how he got up and and prayed to God when no one was there, how he lived in communion with the Father. A Jesus follower is someone who has made the decision to walk in their master's steps. Now, the concept of an easy yoke seems like a contradiction to people raised on the expectations like you and I that everything should be easy and pleasurable. A yoke does not sound easy. A yoke is something put on oxen to actually till a field. However, getting to the good is not always easy. Just ask the alcoholic or the addict who has battled their way to sobriety, who's had to perhaps lose friends change their entirety of their life, fight temptation. And yet who knows that all that being so hard that where they are now freed from their addiction is a much better, richer life. Discipleship, following Jesus is a burden, but it's light. It's a yoke, but it's easy. It's a yoke And it's a burden because actually it's a role. It's a job that you're being invited into. It's a project, but it's God-directed and spirit-empowered. And humans are built for a role. My wife, Trudy, before she was in ministry, was an occupational therapist. And occupational therapy comes from the realization, it grew after the war, 
when there were soldiers who were wounded and injured and they were sitting in hospitals not doing anything and their bodies were wounded, but actually without a role, without a function, that humans are built for a role and a function. So what they did is part of their therapy, part of their healing was not just binding up their physical uh, injuries, but also giving them a role to give them that sense of purpose back. Why is that? Because humans are built for a role. The image of God is you are creating God's image. You are created to execute his will on earth, your will on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants to partner you within that, partner with you in that. When you do that, it gives us lives of rich meaning. It gives us purpose. It gives us better than anything that this world could offer. When we're walking in harmony with God, hearing his voice, communing with him, participating with his mission in the world. Will it be difficult? Yes. Is it hard at times? Of course. Well, is there periods of suffering? Is there periods of, of spiritual dryness? Absolutely. However, this is what discipleship is. This is what the following of Jesus with the whole of our lives is. This is the living of God's future now. And so I just want to remind you, I want to just reinforce this point that living as Jesus lived, of saying, I'm going to follow him, not just with my beliefs, but my actions, not just my head, but my heart, with my everything. I don't want a single part of my life that is off bounds to Jesus. That when we do that, living our whole life following him and living for him, yes, it is hard. Yeah, you're going to face opposition and difficulty, but unequivocally, it is the best life you can live. That is one of the key messages of scripture. But don't take my word for it. What does Jesus say? He says in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy That's why people have been bewitched. That's why there's competing gospels. That's why there's false teaching. That's why there's these crooked paths that lead down destructive roads. This is why the path to destruction is wide. But Jesus says this, that's the thief's purpose. Jesus says of himself, my purpose is to give them, that's you, that's me, that's the believers, that's the church, that's God's heart for everyone to give them a rich and satisfying life. Don't believe the lie that to give all of your life to Jesus, you'll be living a degraded life. Jesus has come so you may have life in its fullness. Let's follow him and let's let the future transform us and be imprinted by the pattern of heaven. Let's pray. God, we want to put down false ideas, confusing ideas. Father, we confess that we've been bewitched by the dizzying, glittering, alternate gospels that exist both in the culture and sometimes even in the church, that we only have to half follow you. We only have to bend one knee. Then we only have to lay some things down that, yes, you are good and true, but we don't have to follow you with everything. Father, we want to follow you with the whole of our lives. And we do that knowing that when we step into alignment with you, we are stepping into a touch of heaven on earth. Father, we know there'll be seasons of disappointment, seasons of difficulty, seasons of struggle. But we know that your 
Yoke is light. Your burden is easy. That you've come so that we may have life in abundance. So we want to say yes to you. We want to embody the future. Father, I just pray now that you can give every person here a vision of their life freed from the endless cycle of frustration and disappointment, chasing things which are not you. Break us out of our patterns. Break us out of the ingrained ruts. Break us out of seeing the wrong things in the world. Break us out of the ways in which we've been deceived. Give us spiritual vision. Help us to live for you with the whole of our hearts. We ask and pray in your name. Amen.